Many times, veterinary professionals are put in a place where they have to determine who owns a pet. What happens when someone finds a pet and another person says, hey, that's my dog? How do you prove it's actually theirs? Well, it turns out there have been a multitude of cases where vets have been caught in the middle of these situations with no easy way out. We're going to talk about that and a whole lot more this week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And we all know and love our pets as family members, but part of being a member of the family is being able to prove that you're a member of the family. Well, what happens when someone says, that's my pet, and you don't know how to prove it? What are the laws, rules, regulations that you might be subject to? Well, we're going to talk about that as much as we can, but it's really, really sticky. Before we do, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, happy spring. I mean, we are full on in it now. By the time this airs, I can tell you uh, the pollen counts are, are skyrocketing here. Yeah, legit. And you know you're not allowed to cough in public anymore. So it makes it yeah. everyone is walking around North Carolina like allergies. They're just allergies. Um, but the daylight, the daylight. Oh, I'm so uh, grateful for the extra daylight. You are not joking. So if you find it, if you're like me, you're a little bit of a froggy voice this morning because the allergies and I spent the whole weekend doing yard work. So that's that. But Becky, Welcome we want to, to talk my about my life of vocal fry. <laughs> I, I hope you get all the feedback. <laughs> well, Becky, I want to talk to you today about a topic that that we've all been, you know, involved with at some point in some capacity in our career. And that is, how do you prove whether or not a pet is actually owned by somebody? And you ran across a really interesting news story recently. And I'd like for you to share that with the viewfinders. Yeah, I was was reading an article or, you know, something on one of the medias, right? And it was talking about a clinic that had a pet brought in. They did the good Sam thing. It was a hit by car. And they have a good Sam policy. Um, and I'm trying to remember all of the details are a little fuzzy, but it was like, you know, you have to pay the bill and you have to prove ownership. And it was sort of like the owner was losing their mind because um, whatever they had wasn't necessarily proof of ownership. And I, I don't necessarily want to pull this situation all apart to decide if what they said or did was right or wrong, but it right. made me think. What is proof of ownership in your state legally? Does it matter based on your city or township? Or, you know, how does your clinic handle ownership? And that is, there are so many different situations because it, it comes down to a lost pet, sure, or a hit by a car or something. But what about like medical treatments and right. it's the mom's dog and the kid brings it in or makes a choice? Like, how are we really proving, you know, like I know I can't grab my nieces, take them to the doctors and start making decisions on their behalf without people asking questions. So I just think it's an interesting thought to talk about today is like, what do we do? How do we do it? And are we even close to the legal parameters? Right. And, and we've all been there, viewfinders. I mean, and, and another story that I ran across as we were sort of, you know, looking through this with, with Becky and I were saying, wow, is th this is kind of a bigger problem than we think. And, and it was a case where, like Becky said, a dog had been injured. It had been taken by uh, the animal authorities to a veterinary clinic, had been patched up, repaired, healed, and all that stuff. And they were posting this success story on on their social media, the, the vet clinic and the, the rescue. And lo and behold, someone comes forward and says, that's my dog. And uh, 
the people are like, that's fine. Would you settle up with the vet? And of course, that's where it went sideways, right? Because they're like, yeah. hey, I didn't, I didn't approve this. I didn't, you know, it's like, so there's the, another element, Becky, right? I mean, here's a person who is trying to get their dog back or they say it's their dog. But when the money comes due, they're like, hey, not so fast, you know? Well, that's exactly it. And it's like, well, I didn't authorize this treatment. Well, I also saved your pet's life. And I I mean, that is really hard. And and I've been there in the emergency clinic and said, like, hey, do we have an owner? Hey, what are we doing? You know, generally, um, if a pet is brought in by, say, animal control, they have a dollar limit that they can invest in that animal for us to stabilize it and to do treatment under animal controls rules. Um, And they're willing to give a certain amount to stabilize them. But when it's not, and now I've had pets brought in by good Samaritans who say, I will foot the bill, whatever it costs. I've had situations where the entire waiting room will chip in and say, whatever it costs to save that dog, we'll all pay a little bit. Um, I've seen a lot of really beautiful moments because of those things. But that doesn't mean the owner approves. And there's this thing going around on TikTok right now that is, you know, TikTok loves to do things that I don't think are funny that everybody else does, where they're making a joke about EMS and nurses and doctors doing CPR and then finding a DNR. Right, right. And that's not really funny because there's a lot of religions that like de- like resuscitation. I, sh- I say there's a lot of religions. I have zero expertise on religions. Let me just <laughs> right, be really clear. But I just feel like there, there are there situations are right, exactly, right, right, where right. people don't want to be. And that's not a right. joke. But it made me think like, man, like what if we did pour our heart and souls into something in a clinic? And, you know, I always tell people have a dollar amount. Like when it comes to an emergency, what are you willing to invest? So if they say I have $1,500, otherwise my pet has to be euthanized. And I just did $4,000 worth of saving them. It's their morals and values and pets. Right. But like, what is the policy? I don't know. This one has got me all like in a tizzy. Well, and, and it should. And and again, because I don't want to stray too far over into the emergency care because we've covered that on multiple podcasts. But again, what, what this story sort of highlights to me is that right now you need to get in front of this, as Becky always says. Always. And you need to say, okay, what what are the requirements that we have, you know, to prove that someone has ownership? And I, and when we're going to go a little bit further, viewfinders, in a minute to talk about, you know, getting a, approval to do certain, you know, permission to do things. But, you know, do they have a registration and license, right? Do they have vet records? Do they have a microchip record, right? Do they have an adoption record? Do they have some kind of proof that they bought the dog from somebody, you know, a registry or whatever, right? Um, and and of course, I think a lot of people rely on like a recent photo, which is why we always say, you know, make sure you've got a current photo of, of all your pets and your phone in case they get lost or stolen or something like that. So, I mean, right now you should have a list in your clinic to say, you know what, if we do get into this Good Samaritan type of situation, we can ask for this. Now, Becky, we've both alluded to this now several times, and I want to explore it a little further. And that is what happens when someone comes in representing the family and is making a decision that could be life or death, right? So I've been in, personally, I've been in a situation where a husband whom we had never met uh, brought in the dog and said it was time. Now, in all fairness, this had been a chronic condition with this dog. It was a chronic ki- uh, kidney failure, and and it probably was right. I mean, I'm not going to go into that aspect sure. of you know judging whether or not. But so he comes in 
And the staff was immediately on alert. They're like, well, where is Mrs. You know, Smith, right? That's not her name, but where's Mrs. Smith? Why isn't she with, you know, she always brought the dog in. And, and we were uncomfortable. Now I did go ahead and, and euthanize it. She did call back later and wanted to speak to me personally. And here, here was where it got, could have gotten real, got gone ugly, right? Becky, she says, was it time, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? so, Too late now, friend. Well, it, it, it is, but you get yeah. where I'm going because what yeah. if I had said, well, you know, Mrs. Smith, I, I, you know, I wish we would have tried X or Y. I mean, there's so many ways it could have gone sideways. Or what if that phone call had not been one of, I just want to make sure that we did the right thing, Dr. Ward. What if it had been, why did you do this? Right. And right. I think that a lot of us have been in those sticky situations. What about you? Well, absolutely. And, you know, I've heard of these situations before where there can be vengeance issues, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, where you do know both parties. Um, and it is actually a vengeance thing. It is actually some kind of, you know, messed up domestic yeah. situation. And I don't think the veterinary team did anything wrong in those cases, but it does make you stop and say, if we're going to avoid this ever happening again, what is the policy? Is it if yeah. you have both people on the account, do both people have to sign off? Like, is it yeah. a matter like with, you know, my husband goes to the doctor. I fill out a piece of paper that says you guys can tell me the stuff that's on the paperwork. Right. Like, right. Should we start being more specific about things like that? And um, I, I think that it is something that could potentially be an issue. I, I think, um, it's getting off in a little bit of a sidebar, but we don't receive a lot of training in our industry about domestic abuse where a lot of other industries in the health field do, uh, even not health field, right? Cosmetologists and estheticians right. and things like that. They have to go through CE to help identify things like that. Um, I think there are cases where it could be a matter of an abusive situation um, and we get involved the wrong way. I think they're one in a million, but a policy would save you from ever having to live through that because- your heart must have dropped when she called. Like you oh, must yeah, have, yeah. like you must have had a moment of oh no. Right. Oh, absolutely. Well, and, and again, you know, viewfinders, there's there's no right or wrong or easy answer for that no. situation. I mean, you can't even predict what could go wrong. You know, it's like I used to say, it's like predicting earthquakes. Right. It's a s simple little tremor till the ceiling crashes in on you. Right. So, sure. you know, it's it's really hard to predict how it will go. Uh, but another scenario, Becky, that I have found myself in that really has been uncomfortable multiple times throughout my career. And it goes like this. The one of the partners, the, the man or the woman, and let's face it, most of the time, it's the mom bringing in the pet. And it's like, do everything you can do these tests. And they give approval, explicit approval, written permission, the whole nine yards, right? And we go and do this. And, and now we've sunk $500,000, whatever, right? Doing this thing. And then, of course, inevitably later that day or the following day, I get a phone call from Mr. Smith, right, <laughs> who is just lighting me up, telling me, you know, he didn't approve any of this stuff and his wife wasn't in a right mind to make the decision and blah, blah. I mean, you, you guys, I'm sure if you're listening today, you've probably been there, too. So, Becky, I, again, it's one of those things where, like you said, it's like, do we have to get both people to sign? Like, how does this work? Because, you know, this gets a lot more complicated, you know, the further you explore this, is that my dog or not, right? It's like, well, are you able to make the decision for your dog's care or whatever? Yeah, I think um, you you make a really good point about the, are you in your right mind? Right. So I think that is an area where people can really come back and burn you. Mm. Um, 
And I, <laughs> it makes me think about, and all of our program instructors and, and teachers out there will get this, like when you have an 18, 20 year old student and their mom calls you about a bad grade, <laughs> right. I see these things happening too, right? Like your kid has their first pet and you're doing treatment and say, you totally took advantage of my kid. Yeah. They don't have that kind of money. Right. Or like right. you said this, my wife loves this dog and she wasn't in the right mind to make this decision. And this is highway robbery. Yep. And I think all of those things are things that contribute to our own personal ethical fatigue, right? Because you're like, I just did great. I was so excited to get the opportunity to actually do good medicine, right? And to to get approval on all of it and to be able to do what I wanted to do only to get in trouble for it on the back end, only to find out that somebody else in the household didn't agree. And I think at the end of the day, the, the policy is, I'm sorry, we don't get involved in personal financial matters within your household. Yeah, yeah. Your wife is over 18. She made a decision. She's on the bank account. Was it a fraudulent check? Nope. Well, then this does not belong in my office. And I don't even entertain those conversations. Right. But but again, getting back to the original question, you know, that we had today, Becky, and that is, okay, what about when we're like in the situation where somebody's trying to prove ownership? Now, we've already, I think, given several examples of how even proving ownership isn't the whole story, right? You've got to now get permission and it's, you know, there's a lot of, of challenges there. But getting back to that. So, so let's just say that somebody comes in, new client, new patient, new everything, and they ask you to to not not euthanize, just to do anything, right? I mean, like at what point do we try to say this is true? Now, now let's be fair, right? I mean, Becky, if it's like to give a vaccine or to treat an ear infection, probably not going to be a big deal. But what if it's something like, I don't know, I mean, I'm trying to think of some irreversible thing like you know uh, even even a surgery but like, like a spay neuter right like, like a spay- somebody brings in Ooh, a puppy good and it's one. a spay or neuter and then all of a sudden dad's coming back like you took my dog's testicles off and right. now it's personal right 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 oh yeah so so again like you know how do we prove that like i don't i don't know and i'll tell you Becky, for a long time, you know, in, in veterinary medicine in particular and in other industries, I'm sure as well, we tried to make it as frictionless as possible to get care, right? You know, so like we didn't want you to fill out a lot of paperwork, just kind of give us the basics or the minimum that we needed. But is that enough in today's litigious society? I guess that's really where I'm going with this because yeah. that one that, again, you brought up this case of a good Samaritan and then you're just like, oh, yeah. I mean, so you know, there's real consequences, right? You may be out money, you may be out time. Uh, so again, should should we start to say, okay, before we can register your pet, we need to see proof of ownership, right? Nobody yeah. ever asked that. Is I mean, Becky, are we entering that era? Well, I hope not, because I could never prove to you I own my pets. Other than, and, and, and frankly, like if you let them go and I called them, they may or may not come right. to me. Like Same. I know two out of four probably would. Um, so I don't have a lot of confidence about that. Um, you know, yeah, it, it, you're right. Because some people could roll their eyes and say, oh, my God, well, now what am I supposed to do? Like, you know, you're telling me I've got a new patient. It's an eight-month-old puppy. They want to spay neuter. Like, what am I supposed to do to prove right. that? And I guess I'm thinking to myself, like, if you have a kid and go to the doctor, you don't have to show their birth certificates. You don't have to prove you own that child. But it generally inherently comes through insurance paperwork or whatever. I don't know. I don't have kids. Yeah, yeah. But like, you don't have to prove you own kids, I guess. But if you wanted to come take one of them out of the hospital, you would. Right. 
So, oh, and that was the situation. That was the situation. Now that you said, okay, so the the original um, situation was there was something to do with animal control. Like animal control had to be involved with the handoff was what it was. Is that like they, no matter what, the person had to like go to animal control and say that they owned the pet and get the dog back from the hospital through animal control somehow. Right. Which I thought was a really good process and a good way of saving themselves because you have a third party who has some sort of authority, right? Animal control officers are are generally badged officers, right. um, at least in, in, in our area, in Brunswick right. County, they are. Um, so I, I think that having some kind of third party like animal control involved when there is a, an incident like that is a great start. And part of the reason is, is be, I think people fear animal control. They always picture like, you know, catch poles and, and, um, the dog pound, but most of the animal control officers I know are, are fully supportive of getting the dog where they actually live and belong. But then you've got a great paperwork history, paper trail account, account ownership of what went on with this animal. And, and so I think litigiously involving animal control might be one of the best first steps that you can do when it comes to like a good Samaritan or a lost dog. Yeah. Um, that's yeah, my, my favorite recommendation. But like you said, how far does this have to funnel down to, to proof of ownership and how far do we have to really follow this through? Oh yeah. Because I can't tell you how many cases I have treated over the years where a person says, I found this dog. I'd like to get it taken care of. You know, it looks like it has worms or ticks or whatever. Right. And, and we would come in and happily ever after. And, you know, it's sort of like, okay, it is happily ever after until a catastrophe. And somebody says, wait, no, that's my dog, you know? And then it gets more complicated because the person's like, okay, I just spent $300 getting the Fleas and ticks off, you owe me. It's, oh, boy. Well, okay, two things. One, that happened to me when I was, like, a teenager and before I knew anything about dogs. And I had this beautiful little Australian shepherd who ran away. Uh, he was still intact, so he went finding a female in the neighborhood. And right. so he jumped out of my fence to dig into somebody else's. And she thought he was lovely. And so she brought him, because of her dog being in the vicinity, she was worried about him. So she took him. Apparently, he had gotten in some funk. So she took him. He got a bath. And his entire shot series because she didn't want him around her dog without right, vaccines. Right. So when I got him back and I'm talking like two days, three days later, I'm, I, I wasn't, this wasn't like a month. I was lost this dog who was like two blocks from my house. He had a full series of vaccines and been groomed. <laughs> so then I turned my other dog loose and I told him, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so that very thing did happen to me. And as a teenager, I certainly wasn't upset about it, but you're like, like it, Anything could have happened. If it was any longer, she would have got him neutered so he could have lived with her female dog. I mean, right, right. And no one asked her. She literally just said, I found this dog. And they didn't, there was no process. Like now, I mean, it was just like, there was microchips available, but they weren't super popular. So right. it wasn't like the first thing we did was check a microchip. You know, it was kind of back before we had internet. So it was like, check the newspaper. Well, I couldn't get an ad in the paper for a few days because it's it's right. it's not the right. internet, right. Right. you know, before all that time. So kind of all of that went down and that exact circumstance happened to me. And truly, she was on her way to owning my dog. Yeah. yeah. And because I was a teenager who had, you know, I don't know how I would have proved ownership of him. And I would have been like this 19-year-old girl arguing for a $1,000 dog over this lady who is grown and professional and whatever. And 
likely probably didn't look like the winner in that fight. Yeah. And they would have said, hey, she wasn't able to provide adequate, you know, uh, housing, right? She couldn't keep them within her yard and all that stuff wasn't providing proper medical care. I mean, there, there's a lot of ways they could spin that into a neglect case if they really wanted to. Easy. And she did the thing where she opened the car door to see if he would run to me because oh, gosh, she yeah. wanted to see. Luckily, he did, but I was furious at her for it. But yeah. as a Good Samaritan and as a full-grown adult now, I could see where her concerns were. So, again, like, I, in that moment, could have owed her for all of those vaccines, potentially. What if she came at me about that? Yeah. I mean, there's a million things that could have gone wrong with that, right? Well, and that's what I want to talk about, too, because the, the what highlighted that original story of the Good Samaritan was the fact that when they were asked to prove ownership of this dog by the veterinary clinic, and again, there's animal control gets involved, but this person then goes to social media and starts posting horrible things, right? right. So that's the other element here, right? I think there's this fear of asking too much, you know, like, okay, can you show us, you know, some proof of ownership? Yeah. <laughs> you, you fear that you're going to, you know, have that, you know, again, that earthquake come down and, and now everything's crashing around you. So, you know, again, if you find it's like, wh where do we go with that? Like, you know, you don't know what tripwire you're going to set off. Well, and the other thing I was thinking about when I told you the big, long mono monologue about Cody, who I adored, and it was a fun story to think back on, is what about the the neighborhood cat who gets picked up because of the TNR program and half their ear gets taken off. Yeah. So yeah. I've heard more than one time of oh, an yeah. owned cat having half of its ear lobbed off because it came, got out of the house or whatever it was, ended up in a trap and release program. Yep. So these TNR programs are an entire another thing, but wrapped up in all of this where we perform surgeries based on the fact that a cat arrives in a cage with someone who says it's, it's, a stray yep. cat who needs to be fixed. I've been in that exact situation where What'd people have come back. Uh, there was nothing I could do. Honestly, that was one where you have to punt it off to the rescue group and say, yeah. hey, you know, I'm contracted by them. They bring them in, you know, so if you have wow. a dispute, you have to get up with them. Uh, I don't think anything ever happened with that particular case. But, you know, again, viewfinders, I'd like to hear if you have because they, they could make a legal case, right? And honestly, I'm going to tell you, you're going to get wrapped up in liability no, no matter what. I mean, I punted <laughs> in that particular case because it was contentious and I, you know, they weren't my client. I don't know. You know, yeah. hey, you know, but regardless, you could see where suddenly now I'm being summoned to court to testify. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I kind of diverted that there, but it was just one more circumstance that stood out to me where like you and I have said, it's, it, I love that we kind of create weekly problems for people and then we give them <laughs> ideas of how to fix them, but not like, I think the biggest thing though is find out what the rules and regulations are in your area. First and foremost, there are laws as far as like what you can do. If they're not clear, if they're muddy, I think you should be reaching out to your medical board to to get advice. I think you should be reaching yeah. out to your PLITs to get advice. Um, but know that it varies by state. And so, um, you know, just crowdsourcing on this is not necessarily the right idea. But also, don't guess. Have the right. like the letter of the law in your understanding and then get and be in front of it so that it isn't something that the clinic owner or the clinic manager needs to decide. It's something that if they're there on a weekend and the, it happens to be the one that the owner's away 
everyone knows what to do. Right. And and what I would do right now, viewfinders, is contact your animal protective services, right? And just, just you know, go ahead and say, hey, here's the situation. I want to make sure that I know what to do if somebody brings in an injured dog or cat. Like, how do we prove ownership before administering treatment or whatever? Just talk, have that conversation. And honestly, chances are they're going to refer you to some local statute or, or state, you know, statute and say, okay, this is what you need to do. This is how we prove it. You have to hold them for five days or whatever, whatever it is, right? But you need to go ahead and establish I think with your local animal protection services group, whatever it is in your county or whatever, and say, hey, what are the rules? 100%. And I think have a very clear policy with your clients. If you, you know, if you have one person on the account, then you know that this is a person who makes decisions and no one else other than this person can. If there is somebody else who should be able to make decisions, make sure they're listed on that account, just like any other, you know, medical facility would do. And I think that can help protect yourself. And then I think an interesting sidebar here that I was just thinking about is the laws around property ownership, because what we know is that pets are considered property in some right. states and in most states. So now how does that play into the legalities of it? Because we aren't allowed to consider pets as a valuable uh, family member. There's no emotional attachment allowed to be to them um, in the legal side of things. But yet there is basically, could you be, are, you, you're, you're stealing property or yeah. you're, you know, defacing property if you lob an ear off. But like finding out what those legal statutes and the what could happen, I think it's going to be the best way to get in front of this. And I think it's going to be something most of our listeners haven't thought of. Right. And again, most of the disputes are around divorce. But what we're seeing now is a swell in, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, 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 whatever, you know, breakups. Right. So two people that have coupled together and now they adopted a dog or a cat during the pandemic and they're breaking up post pandemic. And it's like, you know, and, and what I like also don't forget, I mean, there can be some vengeful actions out there. And I think, you know, Becky, you're really prescient once again on this topic, because we're starting to hear those stories of, of kind of wacky, awful, horrible things, you know, where people are doing it to get back at, you know, some at a spouse that they think, you know, somehow, you know, hurt them. And, and so they use the, the animal by proxy and, Oh, it's just, just awful. So you need to be on the lookout for this because it can happen. And like I told you that one case that happened to me that, that is seared in my mind of the, we'd never seen the Mr. Smith and he yeah. shows up to euthanize the dog. I mean, like, I think those are, are good warning flags. And so if, if your gut is rattling around and going, Ooh, something's uncomfortable, try to press a little more whenever possible and appropriate. Because, you know, again, I think these these cases are just going to escalate, especially with the human-animal bond intensifying as it is, and I think the the financial stakes getting higher than ever. Because you know, Becky, it was one thing back in the day when it was two hundred dollars, right? But right. now it's now it's five thousand dollars, and yeah. you know, I didn't approve you guys doing that surgery, right? I mean, that my wife was not in a state to to make that decision. I mean, that's going to get. I think we're going to see more and more of these kind of cases. Oh, a hundred percent, I agree. And I, I think you're right. I think there is vengeance issues that can that we can be concerned about. I think there is just more dynamics, just just the way people live and do things are are a lot different. And, um, you know, like you said, when there's a divorce situation, who's making the actual decisions? And I think we should give our our pet parents the benefit of the doubt in being a part of that and being upfront about we have policies and procedures in terms of who needs to be a part of this care um, and who can't be a part of this care. But I think you're, I, I think you nailed it just in that if it feels wrong with the exception of, of actual suffering, 
most of the time you could probably wait and and get more information. Yeah, and I think Becky, you you also brought up a really good point. Uh, thinking back on my children's records and so forth, and and something we never did in our clinics, and that is say who is who is who do you give permission to make decisions on behalf of of this patient, right? So like every pediatrician, that's you know it's going to be I had to you know my wife, myself, you know like who can make the decisions. We probably should include that on our client intake forms, I think, because you know that would have that would help us out. I think it would give us a level of comfort if you're on the list, right? I mean it's just the same as in human medicine, you know, um, for children at least, you know, like who who can make a, a decision for them. I, 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 are you hearing people do that? I think we should. That seems easy. Yeah, I think I think it, it it is really easy, and I think it's a way I personally, as a pet parent, would feel secure with a client. Like if they asked me that, I would be like, oh, right. thank you so much. Actually, my sister. Um, right, because if right. I'm ever out of town and there's an emergency, that's a person I'm going to call and she she would be the one to bring them in. Um, I think that makes a big difference. And, you know, I'm on the list to pick up my nieces. I can't just show up to school without right, being right. part of that. So, yeah, I think it's important. And I, I would say if you are going so far as to doing that, then please make sure every year that you see that patient, it's updated. Yeah. Right. Because relationships change and end and grow and uh, possibly include other people, right? Like we're we're diverse here. It's fine. We just want to make sure everybody is or is not on that piece of paper. We don't care what you're doing at home. Right, right. So again, I think there's some simple steps you should take. I mean, I think right now you should contact your animal protection, you know, services and say, hey, what do we do to establish ownership rights, right? Number two, you should probably say who has permission, who can make decisions regarding the care of this patient, you know? And then number three, just set up, a, as Be- Becky said, a protocol, a policy, like, okay, so if we are in this situation, we know what to do, or at least we have some guidance because inevitably, Becky, these things are going to happen Saturday Five minutes before closing, somebody's going to hit the yeah. door rushing in. <laughs> and you're going to be like, wait, what do we do? Well, <laughs> so- that's actually a good point at the sake of being all over the place. But chances are, if someone's trying to get something over on you, that's exactly what they're going to do, right? right? They're going to come in and be in a hurry. They're going to do it at a time that seems like a rush and inconvenience. So you're exactly right. It's it's going to be that unexpected situation that comes in a little hot, that feels a little weird. Um that catches you off guard, that's going to be the problem. And then you're going to be like, oh man, in hindsight, all of that. All right. So viewfinders, what are you doing to make sure your clinic isn't caught off guard when it comes to ownership and decision-making on treatment for your pet patients? I mean, what are the steps that that you're taking and what are some of the challenges that you've faced you know, in the past? I mean, I'd really like to hear some of your stories because I think it's a bigger problem than we're giving it credit for. Yeah. And I'm curious, do you have a policy? Do you know your state laws? Like what? Because a lot of times we do these conversations, we find out you guys are in front of this. And that's what I want to hear. You know where to find us after six years. It's (laughs) still over on Facebook and Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder. You can tweet at Dr. Ernie at Vet Viewfinder and you can email at veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com. That's right. And, you know, honestly, guys, I'll tell you, I I. Twitter has gotten so ugly lately. Like, I don't know if it's just me, but maybe my tolerance level of just the the amount of, of, of hate that's out there on social media. So guys, don't worry. Don't, don't, don't turn on your social media just to contact us. You can always email us, like Becky said, at veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com. So anyway, stay we safe. Dr. Ernie, some feedback on his voice this week. <laughs> that's right. Stay safe, stay sane, and stay healthy out there, guys. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Right. That's good.